Welcome to Jason and the Movie Knots. I'm Jason Sachs. I'm Paul McCoy. And with Halloween coming up, it seemed like a good time to revisit Hellraiser from 87, Hellbound, Hellraiser 2 from 88, and the new 2020 Hellraiser. So, uh, Paul, I know you're a bigger fan of these than I am. Mm-hmm. I saw that you've seen the first two many times. What was, your first imp- what was your impression <laughs> of, of the 22 version? The 22 version. Well, um, it's, it's a much better movie than I thought it was going to be. Um, the, the budget is great. I mean, they got enough money to make it look good it, the set design. Everything looks really great. The practical effects are, are fantastic. Um, but I felt like the story fell a little short, uh, just, just for me personally. And then for some reason, it's like the lighting, I just couldn't, you can't, you can't see the Cenobites when they show up. And so that was a little annoying. And I guess the worst thing I could say about it is that it's it's kind of boring for a big chunk of it. Parts but of it. Yeah, I liked okay. it. I, I, I did enjoy it, but yeah. Would you say you liked it more or less than the first two? Because it really is a complete reinvention of uh, the less. franchise. Less. It's, it's, I would say it's better than any of the others after the first two. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the second, the third one is not that great at all, really, even though it's the same screenwriter for, for two. And the fourth one is like, is a, uh, it's an sort of a mini anthology. It has the origin of the box and then cuts to the future on a space station. So you got, you know, pinhead in space in current times and then in ancient uh, old France. So it's it's imaginative. It's got it's got more more scope and more. Uh, uh, it tries to do more. Mm-hmm. The new one didn't feel like it really tried to do that much, but it still worked in elements of those first four movies. Uh, but you're not missing anything by not seeing three and four, really, unless you unless you really just really love the idea of Pinhead. <laughs> okay. Because yeah. I'm curious. I know they came three came like five years later, so there's that aspect of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed tw- the 22 version, uh, in part because it just felt like a different invention with the characters. Mm-hmm. You know, That's they it, they kind of took this kind of different approach to it, which I found to be like just a little more realistic feeling, right? Because mm-hmm. um, and we'll get to it, I'm sure, but like. One and two, the original one and two, are just strange movies, right? And one of the things that makes them so strange is you don't have an idea of who the people are, really. Everything feels very kind of dreamlike and ghost-like and doesn't feel connected to the real world. But the protagonists of twenty, the 2022 felt real, right? They feel like they're, they are people who I can imagine knowing. Um, and some of the just some of the smaller elements, you know, they're they have friends, they live in a world, they have to deal with the financial aspects of things. They're obviously in a city, right? right. Uh, you know, all the, all the little tiny touches kind of make this movie feel just a little more real so that when they get to the horror, and then the second half, it really is kind of like this strange sort of haunted house movie, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, 
at least like thir- you kind of have a grounding in the character. Yeah, like 13 ghosts, yeah. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, that's 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 one of the good things about uh, the director. Direct, the director is really good. Um, I've seen, I think I've seen everything he's done. The, he did a segment in The Signal. It's a, a zombie anthology film from 2007 that's really good. Uh, he did segments in VHS and Southbound. Um, but then he did The Ritual in 2017 about... Uh, a bunch of dudes going out into the forest basically for a, a guy's retreat and you know just horrible ancient things are lurking in the woods sort of story and then last I guess last year no, 2020 the night house was released i saw that in the theater and it was it was very very good up, and up until the end where it kind of loses touch with with what the story is but it was extremely well made so i was looking i was really looking forward and i knew that this was going to look good and 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 be put together really well and it was i just don't know why you couldn't why they couldn't light the cenobites right (laughs) i mean you go back to the 87 and 88 you know and it's it's harsh light but it's it's it doesn't you know it, it you see everything you can see every little detail of these these monsters these mutilated things and in the new one I, I really just had a hard time even seeing what was happening with some of them what some of their their uh mutilations were yeah which you know i don't know maybe that's good <laughs> i guess that it kind of does to, the whole point is you kind of are into their mutilations right I mean, yeah mutilations are the whole point of the characters mm-hmm. and yeah yeah i see that because um there is this kind of Especially when they get in the house and they have the whole chase scenes through the house, like mm-hmm. it, it felt kind of vaguely like the characters are out of focus, not out of focus, but out of clear rendition or something. If you know what well, I'm trying to say, I, I I think they they did kind of keep a soft focus on um the the new pinhead. What what is her name? Uh, Jamie Clayton. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think they did kind of keep a soft focus when she was on, and so that didn't help. Sometimes it did seem like she was like they vaseline the lens or something. So I don't know. It was it's just it was just a weird a weird uh, directorial choice or lighting choice. I thought they also seemed more passive in this movie. Mm-hmm. In that when they come to the outside of the house, I I, I should say there's. Well, we're we're gonna spoil this movie, so if you're listening <laughs> yes. to this before you've seen it, um, you probably had tiny bit spoiled now, but you're now officially warned. Um, when they come to the house, the Cenobites, it feels like a zombie movie at that point when they're lurking outside, mm-hmm. and and like okay, there's gonna be something that caused the uh, the attack to happen, but didn't it feel like they were kind of isolated in a way that uh, felt you know like like something out of Zombie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, that's that's exactly what it was like. And I, it, it again, that that kind of takes a little bit from the third movie, uh, Hell on Earth, because in that one, once Pinhead comes back, he creates new Cenobites, and they're and they're actually out like walking down the street, killing people, killing a bar full of people, and they're more like serial killers. And, and this kind of had a little bit of that feel. Okay. Uh, Although less less aggressive and less cheesy, there's no, no nobody's shooting CDs out of their mouth and <laughs> murdering people. With that oh really? Like that. Yeah, that was it was awful. 
it's got some really awful stuff in it. Huh. That sounds and, so cheap. Like awful, worse than I mean, that like horrible. weird animated special effects in the first Hellblazer. Uh, yeah, because I mean, those are at least charming. <laughs> <laughs> it's they, true. They had no money, you know. They did what they could. I think Barker even said he 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 did one of those one of the effects and one of them himself, and just getting in in on the. I don't even know how they did it. Yeah, just going in and painting it on the paint on the, the actual film or something. I don't know. And, yeah, it looked like it, right? It yeah. Like, like one of those 50s sci-fi movies where they just paint the laser beams on the mm-hmm. on the cells themselves. Yeah. Uh, I think the 22 movie has the best lead actor of the ones we saw. Uh, the woman who plays Riley, Odessa Ezion. Mm-hmm. I really bought her as a character. And I was interested in her journey. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. And I like that her character was like, uh, just this little, a little. She felt normal. She felt like she wasn't some strange, you know, messed up woman like like either of the two leads in in the first two movies. So a woman who was like, she's got her mental problems, but she's also uh, kind of in some ways knows who she is, right? Um, in most every way, and and. Uh, I just liked her as a, a person. She like she seemed like an interesting person to to watch. I that's true. That is totally true. And I that's, 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 that's a complaint. That's for me because okay. I mean that's that's the whole point of, uh, or at least it's what I've always thought the whole point of Hellraiser was was it's about people who are looking, who are broken and messed up and looking for these extreme experiences. And that that's really why the most of the sequels don't work because they just took they took scripts they had lying around and just threw pinhead in them and turned them into psychological things and uh, until like I guess the last one the one just before this new reboot uh, was called Judgment and that didn't have Doug Bradley as pinhead uh, the original pinhead. But it was a really interesting, uh, really interesting take on it that looked at like the bureaucracy of hell and heaven, how they work together. And and there's a serial killer going around and a, and a cop with psychological problems. And yeah, it's it's it was more along the lines of what I would have expected from something following the first two films. Okay, because I mean that that. And again, it's like there. It's like this. This new one wasn't. It wasn't perverted enough. There wasn't enough, you know, weird sex stuff. There was literally almost no sex stuff outside yeah. of just a couple of straight hetero, you know. Yeah, quick little hetero things. Seems yeah. Actually, it's a little bit of what I'm talking about. Like she knows what she wants. She has. She has sex with the guy. It's okay. It's relatively unfulfilling. It's it. It's almost like they're making a point of like marginalizing the sex elements by just having a B, uh, just some ordinary kind of thing. That and and the way that they've changed the way the box works is yeah. another way of of marginalizing that that uh, the motivation of the person doing the box. By by, for anybody who hasn't seen it uh, and is still listening, <laughs> even though we're spoiling, um, in the first in the first movies and most of the movies. Uh, when you open the box, you're summoning the Cenobites. Uh, it's, it's your desire is what summons them to, to come and get you. Um, and in the new version, 
you're there are six or seven different configurations of the box and it goes through a, it goes through a series of different shapes and whoever wants to get something has to sacrifice somebody to get each each step in the in the transformation and so so they they, they you have to get somebody to try to play with the box they get cut and then Cenobites show up, take them to hell or do whatever. Whereas originally, if the Cenobites showed up, they're going to, they're there to take you and they're taking you to hell, but you're going to be going to hell to suffer for eternity or until you can figure out a way to escape. And here it's like, it's like, they're just killing them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They may still be in hell, but there's no, they only implicate, the only inclination that might ha- might be what's going on is when her brother comes back at the end and you know says do you want to save me yeah but they didn't do enough with that either i know that was That's an interesting element i guess though it feels like we've seen that lots of times before mm-hmm. you know the lost family member who's there's the illusion of them returning or the potential of them returning you know as opposed to the story in the original hellblazer Hellraiser. I'm surprised they haven't done that more. Um, where Julie is in love with her ex brother in law, and it's all about this kind of perverted sexual fantasy of bringing him back to life. Mm-hmm. And so she's drawn to to something that's you know completely wrong. So she has a way of kind of um, doing something that's completely wrong. Like right, it she's she's getting victimized because of her uh, her greed, and then Kirsty, her. Uh, I guess it's her stepdaughter-in-law. Um, what makes it scary is that she gets uh, basically, um, yeah, it's her daughter, right? She gets kind of this generational trauma where it's visited on her because of the evils of her mom. And that just makes it even more scary to me because that's like, you can't escape your fate. Your family is your destiny. It's, it's You're trapped in, in this future that you can't control at all. It just feels so eerie, right? It feels like, you know, this is this is, you know, the equivalent of coming up having a terrible genetic disease that you're you're going to be tortured forever because of this. And it's but and it's also a nice, uh, almost like a one room, one set drama. Yeah. You know, for most of the film, it's almost more like a a family drama than a horror movie until you know until Julia starts having to sacrifice people to bring Frank back and and even then it's kind of just again a little. A little sleazy, not as sleazy as it could be, which I'm I'm sure that that's the studio's intervention. Um, but you know, she's luring men back to the house so that she can beat them to death with a hammer, and then this skinless body can scuttle out from the shadows and suck their <laughs> suck their life force and blood and turn them into little dry husks that's the scariest part that's the scariest moment in the movie when you that body that completely disgusting bloody body comes starts emerging Mm -hmm. from under the floor and it's it you know that that kind of super nasty clive barker art style where it just feels so much from the pits of hell or something yeah yeah and i mean then that initial opening where where frank first comes back where it's the the wax dummy thing that's melting and they've filmed it in reverse so it looks like it's forming out of the out oh, of yeah. the, the, the wood 
it's just that, that was just a fantastic effect for for like no money for and it's no just money. great yeah we should talk about that too because um barker and his friends made the original hellraiser for a million 1987 dollars maybe mm-hmm. two million now or something yeah it's amazing it is amazing yeah and they've made back 15 or 18 million dollars in first run yeah. and obviously many many millions more since then yeah and it's also one of only four or five movies barker actually directed himself yep this was the first one he he did this because the last two things that he'd written uh did not turn out very well i can't remember the first one maybe underground i haven't seen that uh but then uh rawhead rex have you seen rawhead rex no i didn't know there was a movie of rawhead rex it's it's interesting it's something um, <laughs> <laughs> and it is the reason that he was like all right i'm just going to direct this next one myself it and, does have uh, this kind of purity of vision to it mm-hmm. that i also found a little bit off-putting so i would summarize like my my like one word take on each of these movies so I felt like Hellraiser was claustrophobic. Uh, Hellraiser 2 was dreamlike. And 2020 was modern, maybe. Or vague. Did, did the first movie feel claustrophobic to you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Again, that's part of that, uh, you know, that whole low budget effect, the whole low budget approach. Um, it was New World Pictures uh, who actually finally financed it uh roger corman's company so you know there's not going to be a whole lot of money there for you mm-hmm. and so it's just amazing that they that they even got as much together as they did the designs for the cenobites are iconic right off the bat i mean it's i mean i mean and and this is coming in a time where there's 20 good horror movies every year at least over through this this five ten year sets you know period I was looking at uh, you know what else came out in '86 or '87, and it's just like every, it's everything. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was I was it's just uh, let me see. Uh, uh, there's not one to do it. Oh well, but there's like every I think the Lost Boys. There's uh, uh, I can't even remember what else now, but it's just such a I mean, when you when you Google horror movies nineteen eighty seven, the list that comes up at the top, it's like every single one is a is a. Uh, oh yeah, it's like a masterpiece. Lost Boys, Prince of Darkness, John Carpenter's mm. movie, which is one of my favorite Carpenter films. Yeah, Monster Squad, Hellraiser, Evil Dead Two, Banger, yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street Three. It's just crazy how much good Angel stuff is all coming out that shows up on the list. Uh, yeah, Angel Heart. I, I loved that one too. And but this was like something that was just like nothing you'd ever seen before. Yeah. Uh, and and immediately, you know, an immediate icon, an immediate horror icon. Which well, I, and yeah, it really is like nothing you've ever seen before because it has the that kind of very specific logic to it, you know. Hmm this barker-esque feel to it this kind of kind of uh it's almost it almost feels literary in a a very strange way Mm -hmm. well it's it's, obviously based on a story by him have you read that story it's so close to the story i mean i I just read it today i'd read it a while back but i was going to reread it and realize i don't have it on my shelf anymore but i was able to find a copy 
and reread it today. And it was just, I was shocked. I hadn't remembered how close to that, the first film it is. Uh, he may have actually been working on the story while they were putting the script together. So that, that might be part of the reason. But I mean, the only real difference is that Kirstie isn't the daughter. Kirstie's a friend who has a crush on the husband. Oh. But everything else is almost exactly the same. Yeah. Hmm. Frank and Julia had an affair. Frank gets taken to hell. She, the only, the, an, another difference is he ejaculates on the floor before they take him to hell. And it's the ejaculate and the blood together that are what do the magic that opens up the possibility for him to come back instead of just the blood, which that's, is a very Clive Barker thing. <laughs> that sounds very right though. Yeah. That's, that's, that's a very Barker thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially like, I think, uh, uh, what was, which novel was it? Might have been the great and secret show. There was some really gross magic with feces and semen and blood and now just, just mixing together to do something horrible. But that's another discussion. I remember like that kind of stuff just felt so primal at the time. Mm-hmm. when i first read these stories it just felt like it, it it was a complete leveling up of the horror genre in a way mm-hmm. yeah because, king I mean, had already called is... him the future of horror yeah yeah and he really was the future of horror and this was just he just had his first novel out uh damnation game mm-hmm. uh, before, before that he had the the books of blood short story collections for just a i mean like i think they they were collected i think they started being, collect, being collected in 84 so this is all like just brand new and and he just bursts onto the scene with this with hellraiser now he didn't actually work on part two no he, he contributed to the ask, story what was the relationship he had to part two uh he contributed one coming together with the story but he didn't hey he was working on trying to get nightbreed made mm-hmm. and so uh, which is another one that he wrote and directed. Uh, and so he just kind of helped flesh out the ideas and then got uh, other people who had, they've been, they knew them. Yeah. You know, he knew the, the writer, um, what is the writer's name? Uh, David Barron. No, no, no. That's the producer. I have it right Screenplay. here. Peter Atkins. Yeah. Peter Atkins. Peter Atkins um, Clyde Barker and Doug Bradley had all been in a theater troupe together uh, before all of this. Oh, I see. Atkins wrote a few of the sequels beyond that. Yeah. Um, and Randall was, had, I think he was a producer. He'd worked on the first one and uh, this was his, his directorial debut was Hellbound. So, yeah, it was all really almost in-house, you know, almost of the same cast and everybody were, was working on the second one too. He just was trying to get Nightbreed made, so he wasn't actually there for this one. I thought uh, two was a really interesting expansion of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? I felt like, like I said, I felt like one was really claustrophobic. Like it's really focused on the house and these really four characters, right? Then mm-hmm. their relationship with each other, and it just felt. The, the biggest complaint I had walking away from it is like, I had no idea who the people were in any larger context. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, it's like a dream. And then this one opens up the world. The part two opens up the world so dramatically. Mm-hmm. 
and when we first go down into the basement of the insane asylum and there's <laughs> the voices screaming and the people in terror it was really kind of enthralling it was very interesting yeah for a long time i this was my favorite one um i'm not i'm not sure how i'd rank them right now i'd have to i'd have to think about it but i just love the imagination of this one this mm-hmm. really won me over with by taking those creepy monsters that we that we just see a little bit of in the first movie and then just expanding on their world and their their rules and their past i mean it opens with you know the origin of of pinhead as a british military officer who also has tracked down the box and has solved it and gets dragged to hell and turned into a cenobite that's yeah that right there was just enough to have me hooked right immediately the first time i saw it yeah because you want to know more about him Mm -hmm. and it is a compelling story yeah it's a it it it, like you said it is it is more dreamlike it is more uh it's more fantasy it's dark fantasy almost more than horror yeah although when it gets horrific it gets horrific yeah it does get really horrific well that that to me is like the other thing that separates is that is that you have uh tiffany and kirsty kind of being chased around through these very mysterious locations Mm-hmm. we don't really have the context to understand where they are we just know that they're being imperiled and they're it's terrifying what's happening to them yeah almost they're running through these endless corridors yeah. yeah Escher, exactly the Escher design of that city and stuff uh you know it really just kind of gave this whole thing a more of this surreal but also really intensive edge to it you know mm-hmm. and if you can make it past that uh the the I guess not murder, murder suicide kind of thing on the on the mattress to bring Julia back. If you can get past that scene, then you can get past anything else in the movie. <laughs> oh my god, that fucking mattress scene! Mm-hmm. Oh, that was it's, legitimately it's, terrifying. Yeah, people people couldn't handle it on set watching that. Oh shit! Yeah, the guy dreaming of the maggots climbing all over him. Mm-hmm. So he gives him a straight razor. Oh, in order to bullet to bleed out on the mattress and try to bring julia back from the other side it's that kind of thing that made me never take lsd that's what i feared <laughs> a bad trip would be like okay i can see that <laughs> like that that was like legitimately like mm-hmm. i'm gonna do something crazy i'm gonna imagine my body's filled with with maggots i'm gonna imagine there's <laughs> i'm i'm on a fire pit or something I imagine I'm literally in hell and I'm never going to be able to get that out of my mind. Literally mm-hmm. what happens to these people and that man in particular, right? Cause there's yeah. a few other people they show us too. are going through like these endless tortures. Yeah. Yeah. The, the insane asylum oh. is so over the top that it's almost, it's almost funny, but, but it, 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 it does it, but it does a good job of keeping it grounded and make it, making it disturbing. But it, it's it it it's very close to just being way too over the top. I mean, just the okay. fact that they go into this underground and you know it's like a secret level and it's almost like furnaces and cages and it's almost like you know the the hell dimension. Actually, it's it's creepier and and more disturbing than than if you go through the through the box into uh, wherever it is, wherever Leviathan is. Yeah. No, actually, if you go through the box, you're in this kind of other civilization 
there's this whole expansive world you, world you can discover, which may all be terrifying. Kind of like but labyrinths. You, you have the like, chance like to actually the, see God too. It kind of it kind of reminded me a little bit watching it this time um, of of the movie Labyrinth, the David Bowie, mm-hmm. <laughs> where it's like it's just this the Goblin Kingdom basically. Usually, it's just a bunch of hallways and then a giant maze, and then the uh, Leviathan hovering above everything in the middle. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, I I didn't know what in the world to make of the Leviathan. I can I I, I understand that. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> I mean, and this is really I think this is really the only movie that that really touches on that um, until this new one until twenty twenty two. So it's not it's like they just didn't really expand like they could have with the with the the next two movies mm-hmm. um and they and they if they just they just didn't have the money to do anything and then they just kind of got it just got cheaper and cheaper even though the four is like you know partially set in space it's still you know still not that great well and hellraiser 2 also has this like Dr. Chenard, who's just creepy. Mm-hmm. That creature holding his head. and Yeah, the, the giant penis. The giant penis. Oh, well, I didn't even think of that. Yeah, it's even got like pustules and sores on it. For- <laughs> it's, oh it's, my God, yes. It's disgusting. Oh man, the whole time I'm thinking, is he controlling what's happening? Is the giant penis controlling what's happening? Is What is he getting out of this? Oh man. Who knows? Who knows? That's that. See, that's the sort of thing that I really would would have liked to have seen, you know, continued and elaborated on in in the next movie. Uh, but they they just, you know, the next movie just almost kind of starts from scratch, practically. What were those giant snakes coming out of his hands? Like, where did mm-hmm. that all come from? The, that awesome stop motion animation. Uh huh. That was uh-huh. just that, I loved it. I still Felt so it. dated and so fun at the same time. Ah, oh, but so smooth. Oh yeah, <laughs> it was done. It was done really well. And they spent less money on Hellraiser too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know how. Yeah, because it looks like it's more expensive. I mean, yeah. it looks like they could have spent a lot just on the matte paintings. Mm-hmm. Because the detail in that town looked really good on my big screen TV. Yeah. Of course, I don't know. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe matte paintings aren't as expensive as you would imagine. Us, yeah, you know, you're not building sets and. That's true. Yeah, building. I don't know. I don't know. Pay a pay a painter ten thousand dollars or something, and yeah, no green screen. Really. Yeah, yeah just no the... green screen. It's all the practical effects. Yeah, that's that is kind of a shortcoming, though. Did did you did you notice in at the end of Hellraiser when the uh, I can't remember. I think it's the engineer, whatever. I think that might be what they call it, the thing that comes chasing them down the hallway. It's like climbing, it's on the ceiling, hanging down and, and chasing, or I guess, no, it's, it's in, it's in this one. It's in Hellbound. The yeah. thing it's, that's chasing uh, Kirsty and, and uh, whatever her name is, the other Tiffany. little girl, Tiffany. If you, if you, if you pay attention, you can see them behind it, pushing that thing down the hallway. <laughs> you, you can see the, the cart that it's on the wheels and yeah, you know, there's a, you, you just get a quick shot of someone peeking up over the top and before they, before they, they take off, uh, but they did their best to cut it. <laughs> to oh, cut come on. It, you, you know, going into one of these movies, it's not going to be like, even like aliens or something where yeah. they have the budget, right? It's, exactly. It's, and it's, and again, it's part of the charm. Yeah. It is part of the charm. 
And I, I actually did like that they don't explain very much at all. Mm-hmm. You're just kind of stuck there trying to figure out like where Kirsty and Tiffany going. What's the relevance of the puzzle? That's another one. Like, you know, so towards the end, she's like, I got to finish putting together the puzzle. And there's a few scenes where you, they show the puzzle during the movie. Mm-hmm. I don't really get how it, it made sense in the larger plot. But yeah. I didn't need everything to be explained to me. I kind of like that they didn't get things explained to me. I, I, I agree. I agree. That's it's that dream logic. You know, it doesn't have to make sense, really. It's it's. Well, you know, you need to know is the puzzle needs to be solved, and this will happen. If you, if you, and if you want to get them, you know, get through, make your way home, you got to get that puzzle solved again. It's kind of one of the beauties of watching a low budget film, too. Is like if it is, if it was like a real Hollywood picture, they would make a point of like explaining all the details, or they completely blow it off, right? But Mm -hmm. usually they'll make a point of like tying everything up neatly at the end, too. But instead, yeah. you know, we're we're just left with all these kind of mysteries, and that's the that's part of the fun. Yeah, and that that again is it ends up being one of the problems with most of the sequels is that they don't do anything at all to really build on the mythology of it, mm-hmm. or even play with the mythology. It's all pretty much, you know, the standard. Oh, someone's going to solve the box, and then Cenobites are going to show up, and then, uh, and then and then maybe they're real, maybe they're not. Two or three of them are all like you don't know if it's in the person's head, if they're if they're hallucinating or not. It's a they're they're just not very good. Yeah, that sounds exhausting. Although uh, I think the fifth one was directed by Scott Derrickson. I think it might have been his first movie from Doctor Strange and uh, oh, oh. Uh, Black Phone and uh, Sinister. I think. Actually, do you think they did enough to give us context in the twenty twenty movie? Hmm. I mean, we got the diary scenes, right? Where they they did about the equivalent of the first two films, I'd say. Yeah. You know, because I mean, the you know, Doctor Chenard has the room with all the notes and drawings and other boxes and, and things. So you, it's it's pulling on that, even right down to you know him becoming a Cenobite in the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's it's yeah, it's the- got a lot of good stuff, but most of the good stuff are. are reworkings of elements of those first two definitely first two and little little bits and pieces of the, of the, the three and four yeah the more we talk about the 2020 the less i like it <laughs> the more i realize the parts i like were the parts that didn't really involve the centibytes yeah see that's 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 kind of one of my problems with it i mean it, I, I would have been okay with that if they weren't just trying to solve a mystery, if they weren't trying to you know, figure out what the box is and where it came from. And then, I don't know. I don't know. It was, it was almost like a Scooby-Doo story until I, you, they I get gonna, to the house. I was going to call it a Scooby-Doo story. Mm-hmm. And the betrayal. <laughs> All the way down to driving that van. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, I got to say, though, the, the, the scene where uh, her friend gets attacked exactly i was just about to say that that was that was fantastic yeah that yeah yeah glad we, glad we agree on that yeah it did, a, it did a really good job of of uh visualizing the overlapping of the dimensions of the hell dimension when it comes into the real world really nicely done i thought yeah just i mean the way the the way the walls open up or the ground opens up is something that happens in the others but 
I don't know. There was just something about this one, the way that it was happening, but nobody else was seeing it. It felt like in the, in the first two, if somebody walked in, they were going to see everything that's going on. It felt like, I don't know if that was, if it would have or not, but, but this felt like it was really trans-dimensional. It was, it, they did really good with that. Um, that director, if, did you see the night house? No, I haven't seen any of those other movies. The night house is like a woman who thinks she's being haunted and they set up multiple shots where you kind of see a figure in the background, but it's, it's the way things are set up in the scene. And so when the camera moves, suddenly you see, Oh, it's just a bunch of boxes or a, a, a pole and some stuff over here. But then when the camera moves over to another direction, it looks like a figure that's lurking there watching her. Wow. and so uh, there's a lot of really good stuff in there like that. Um, and so I was really hoping for something, you know, cool visuals and, and it, it delivered. Interesting. I really did like, I mean, especially I really did like the way the house became a trap mm-hmm. uh, and a cage. Uh, that's something that was, again, that's what happens in, uh, in four in the future, the space satellite or the space station where they, they summon Penhead yeah, there. Yeah. It sets up a like a laser grid that's a trap and to supposedly close off hell forever or something. I don't know. I've always liked the idea that house is a trap too. It feels like mm-hmm. it even goes back to like Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. You know, again, it's, that's, that's back to that 13 ghosts kind of thing. Yeah. It's, cla- it's such a classic idea. You know, mm-hmm. it's a pit in the pendulum too. Yeah. You know, you get lured into a house and you don't know what's going to happen. And I like the way they kind of subtly had the house be the torture pit. I didn't get why the hell they brought that, that, the, um, the guy who had the house, the, the millionaire in though. Yeah. That just came out of nowhere. Yeah. Again, and I didn't that's... understand what he had in his body and what the, what does, am I supposed to understand more of his backstory than that got out of that? Yeah, no, they didn't give me enough. They didn't give enough. And if he was, they didn't, and again, that they didn't make him pervy enough. He should have been a really, you know, should have been disturbing. Yes. And but you know, they've got like a big party going on in the mansion. And there's one room's the orgy room. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. That's it's just like, yeah, that's that's really not enough. Yeah, you know, it, he needs to. You need to establish that he's really gone beyond stuff like that, and you don't really get that. You, yeah, you only, you only get it in like news headlines when when she's looking for trying researching him on the on the internet but they really could have deepened that part of it yeah mm-hmm. kind of show him more into like the real perversity well right and again and again again the part of the problem with that is is he's got to be a serial killer basically in order to get what he wants instead of you know letting being letting that kind of perverse history and the experience and the extremities of the things that he's willing to do instead of letting that be the summoning of Leviathan. And instead he's, you know, he's just killing pretty boys at his party and, you know, sacrificing them and then getting to, I don't know. It just, I didn't care for that change. Yeah. I, I mean, I like it conceptually. I just thought, yeah, I was expecting more leather, more, uh, more something that feels just like a, you know, the one of the th- nice one of the things that was uh, special about the first two movies, they really are kind of gothic in a way, right? Mm-hmm. The, the 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 Cenobites and are in their leather, 
and they just feel like they're kind of from a different sexual perversity level. Mm-hmm. And yeah, we never got this feeling of like him being like completely off the grid. Yeah. This is stuff you could find on uh, Pornhub without too much searching. It's not going <laughs> to gross you out, you know? Yeah. It wouldn't be banned on, on Pornhub. Yeah. <laughs> this, and I, I, do, I do appreciate what they were doing by avoiding the black leather, by making them turning their skin into the costuming. Yeah. But again, if, if everything's under blue tint, you can't see what's going on. You can't really see what's what's happening. You know, the, that's one of the things about the the other films, you know, the, the pale white skin and the red, red, red blood, they really contrast well and you and then they're lit so that you can just you know it's you can see it, you can see them across the room, you know. And these like you said, it's, it does seem like they're soft focus all the time. And and then that blue light, or just the blue adjust on the on the lighting. Well, the original Hellblazer is such a red movie. Mm-hmm. So much red from from the blood that Frank has uh, to to the the blood and the cenobites. It just feels like it's saturated with this upsetting color. Yeah. You know that that's keep continually makes you feel uneasy. Yeah, and maybe and that's not... the other thing too with the new movie, like the first two movies, especially after Hellraiser two. I felt so like just disturbed. <laughs> you know, it's not a horror movie like uh, uh, Friday the Thirteenth, where it's horrible because Jason's attacking these people. Yeah, uh, it's ho- it's horror because it just is so deeply upsetting. <laughs> it kind of shakes you up, you know. It's like, yeah, what, what kind of imagination comes up with this shit, right? Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing, and and the people who are who are getting you know, who are you finding the box and using the box are people who are upsetting, who are disturbed. And, and, you know, Kirsty gets kind of just stuck in the middle. You know, she accidentally solves it in, in Hellraiser. And the only reason she gets out is she figures out how to make a deal. You know, that if she can give them Frank, they don't think Frank's actually escaped. Yeah. And I don't, don't know. And it's like, nobody's supposed to escape. And if she can give give them Frank back, then she'll be let alone. Well, it should be kind of a proxy. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, yeah. that, yeah, that's a way of working in a reason to have to sacrifice somebody else. You know, mm-hmm. they're going to take you instead of, well, we're going to grant you a wish. If you, <laughs> if you sacrifice enough people, we'll grant you a certain kind of wish. Well, also they're like, if they somehow emphasize that in a different way, you you must sacrifice someone else to get what you need although i don't know i don't know uh then why do you need a puzzle box yeah yeah and, maybe. that is kind of the fundamental question yeah i mean the whole point of the puzzle box is it's supposed to be difficult to solve you know and you have to be really focused and motivated to solve it and then that's what summons them this anybody who touches it just boop boop it opens yeah. and a knife cuts out and, and cuts them. So it was like they, it's like they just didn't commit. You know, there was there were they they knew what they wanted to do, but it felt like they they didn't commit entirely to the concept. Like they wanted it to be about addiction. You know, addiction is the big central theme, but they they don't really do anything with it. Yes. She's an addict. And she takes three pills at one time in the movie, has a little bit of booze at the start. 
And then the addiction doesn't have anything to do with the rest of the movie other than the fact that, you know, Oh, we have to track her down sometimes. Well, and that's it. Yeah. You just put your point on a really, or finger on a really good point to me. Yeah. I agree with that because uh, I think it's a better movie if, if it comes back to the uncertainty of how real this is. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. 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 Yes. If they, if they're playing with like, did you see the, the remake of evil dead? A few years back yeah fede alvarez yeah where they they take they're taking her out in the woods to to let her detox and so she's seeing things they don't they think she's you know just kicking drugs that sort of element might have helped it feel a little bit i don't know dirtier grittier uh i don't know more essentially about addiction and and trying to get clean time and i mean that would be a, a perfect analogy for what she decides to do in the end by not by choosing not to do the uh uh lazarus configuration and get her brother back by choosing to just live with the guilt uh that right there would be a fantastic ending if we'd seen her struggling with her addiction through the rest of it mm-hmm. and we don't really see that unless I mean, I guess you like, like, there's probably the argument that the, the way that she fixates on trying to figure out what's going on is a manifestation of her addiction, maybe. But that's, it's too intellectual. It's too intellectual. I can see that, but we didn't, I didn't feel that. No, I didn't either. I'm saying that's just, that's possibly an argument that could be made to say that this is really about addiction. She's just transferring her addiction. But, I don't, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel earned well there's also not a connection between her addiction and uh, the cenobites and anything anything other than you know getting kicked out to live in her car right I mean, she doesn't even last one day out the poor you know everything starts going crazy yeah 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 because i mean what's one of the golden rules of screenwriting is connecting your different elements in a way that causes them to resonate with each other right mm-hmm yeah, well, I it's like connecting there. the Joker to Batman. You know, they have no relation, but if he's going to be your nemesis, he needs to have a deeper connection. There is no really deeper connection there. No, uh, the only reason it seems like the only reason that that Pinhead offers a deal is because uh, she popped it open a little bit, but didn't didn't get cut. You know, she opened it and it didn't cut her. Yeah. And so they show up and they're like, okay, well, you get to sacrifice somebody else. You get to, yeah, and then we'll, we'll give you whatever you want. Yeah. You're, we'll grant your wish. We're, it's, it's, it's like leprechauns or Rumpelstiltskin or something. I mean, I did like that she had not the greatest relationship with her friends. They would bicker, right? And, um, you know, I'm sure they want us to think she has the hot, loud, crazy sex because she's crazy. Yeah. They didn't even play that right yeah either it's like it's just it's just like a joke the more i think about this movie the more it feels like one more draft to just tie everything up tighter Mm -hmm. would have made it a great movie yeah so i pulled up um so close (laughs) i pulled up uh the reviews of bruckner's movies this is in the bottom towards the bottom of his list yeah i'd say it's the it's the least successful that i've seen uh, like I said, I don't, I don't really remember the short pieces that he did in VHS and Southbound, uh, 
but uh, the ritual is really creepy and, and disturbing. Um, and then, like I said, night, the night house was really fucking solid all the way up until the ending. And in the end, it kind of loses its focus and isn't sure what it wants to say with the, with the conclusion. But up until that point, it was fantastic. I might have to check that out then. Um, uh, I got to say, though, the first two, the more mm-hmm. I think about them, the more I feel like they were just dead on classics. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're, they're individual. They're, they're unique. Yeah. I mean, like I said, other than like Labyrinth, I can't, I can't think of another movie that, that really, you know, tries to give you a, a trans, trans, uh, transportation to another world that is basically a hell world, even though, you know, it's not a traditional hell world. And that's another thing that I like. It's not a traditional hell world. It's not fire and demons and torture. The tortures are all individualized. Like Frank's Frank's hell is just being teased by women under the sheets that he can <laughs> writhe around and moan and he just can never touch yes. them. That's that's just perfect. It's and it's oh. and and he and he's so and that's another he's he's so disturbed and messed up that he figures out a way to fake Kirsty out so to try to get her to come to hell so that he can fuck her. Uh-huh. I mean, that's that's his only reason. That's his whole goal uh-huh. that, that he, you know, I am in hell. Help me. That whole appearing to her as the bloody, you know, skinless guy writing on the wall, and she thinks it's her dad. And it's and it's not. It's just it's Frank trying to get a piece. Oh my god! <laughs> and that's that's who there's you know. The, there's the whole deal hell. with the perversely no those no bounds. Mm-hmm. The the ballsiness of it. Yeah, I mean, the the reason that uh, the actor didn't come back for the second one, that who played her dad, is like he just didn't really have anything to do in the original script, and then the writer, uh, whatever his name is, Pete Atkins, uh, he was like, well, I'm glad we he didn't want to come back because why would he be in hell? He was a good guy. <laughs> he got murdered. Right. <laughs> why would I, I couldn't just he couldn't justify why he would be in hell in the first place. But so uh, you know, so there's little things like that that that, that, I, that I really appreciate that just make it you know just so. Again, it's so it's sticky, you know. Sticky <laughs> is it? Yeah. It's, it, I mean, and Julia coming back from the from hell is just the skinless Julia, in wrapped in bandages with the dress. Oh, dude, the such a such a beautiful kiss, image. Like, I was so creeped out by mm-hmm. that. And she's pulling his her hand, his hand under her under her skirt. Oh my god, yes, so good. He's, he's feeling her breasts, and they were probably mm-hmm. like tin foil or something. Yeah, under his hands, so it just good. feels so perverse. And that's that's what I'm missing. And it's that's got this strange kind of necrophilia vibe to it. Mm-hmm. And the effect oh, yeah. is so good. The effect is so good. I mean, well, yeah, for just a, and I mean, that's it's a the totally case where like the cheapness effect. is fine because, like, in both these movies, the way those bodies are portrayed, mm-hmm. they're like they're just muscle and and um, well, just muscle under the skin. Yeah, and so it's got this kind of tactile grossness to it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the act, the actor playing Frank is the guy who uh, cuts himself on the mattress in in part two. Okay. He was, you know, a skinny little dude that they <laughs> they could build up the makeup over and still make it look like he. You know, oh, okay. 
it's just missing skin. But uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, the more I, the more I think about them, the more I just I, I love every little bit. I, I, <laughs> I mean, I I I understand that the first one is is kind of slow if you're if you're not into it. Uh, it does take a little while to get going. You've got a really nice opening, but then it's the family drama thing. I guess it doesn't really take that long, but I mean, it is, it, it does still feel a little boring, a little, a little dry, but once everything starts going, man, it just, it just doesn't stop. Yeah. I think it's just, it's one of those movies you have to let wash over you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, two was the one that surprised me the most because it's not directed by Barker. It's a lower budget film. Uh, it's the first sequel, which is often the worst sequel. Mm-hmm. And there were the bits like where they flash back to the original movie. And I'm like, Mm-hmm. why do you have to do this come on yeah. Stand, create a movie that stands on its own two feet but it didn't fall into any of the traps of sequelitis either it wasn't a repeat it wasn't yeah. like an a, a, a extension that didn't make any sense like it really did build on the world we had before it was scary in its own right in a different way yeah i mean they're a little they're you know and it's got its little problems here and there you know little little glitches like like, like we said the 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 thing coming down the hallway you can see them being pushed and uh there's another uh, the the uh, the chatterer the teeth chattering cenobite uh-huh uh his makeup was set up so he had no eyes in the first one and so he couldn't uh-huh. see what he was doing uh he couldn't see and could barely hear and so for some reason halfway through the movie the second movie suddenly he's got he's got eye holes <laughs> in the back part oh i didn't even notice that yeah i don't i, I don't know if i had ever noticed it before either but they they, they talked about it in, in the special features because it was like they they even filmed a, a scene where he was being upgraded i guess and you know they pe- peeled the skin back from where his eyes would be so that okay. you can see but they they didn't never included it so it just say- it's just suddenly he's got eyes <laughs> yeah you could no prize your way your way through that yeah yeah, I think there was, there was it's one of the one story. I don't know if it was in the first one or the second one, but he and uh, Butterball, the big one, neither, he's a little skinny guy in that suit, and neither of them could see or hear, and so they were being you know, led out onto the stage, the the set, and then I guess somebody maybe he's a second unit director or something. I don't know. They came up and were like telling them what they needed to do, where they needed to go to cross to. And they're both just like, and then it's like action. And then they're just like, don't know what to do. You can't hear. But that worked too. Yeah. The fact they look so awkward made them scarier in a way. (laughs) Yeah. I also like the fact I also really like the fact that, I mean, I, th- I think the first time I saw it, I was probably a little annoyed that uh, Chenard was able to just murder them all, like, you know, like like nothing. But then, it, you know, after a couple of times watching it, it really hit me. I mean, she just, Kirsty had just confronted them with the fact that they had been people, that they were human before, and they didn't they didn't know that they didn't remember that, and so it's like they're on their back heels or, you know, because of that, suddenly mm-hmm. they're doubting things. And then Chenard Chin- comes in and is like, ah, boogie boogie and starts just murdering everybody because mm-hmm. he's fresh out of the fresh out of the oven. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're so, fresh prey for him. Yeah. So it, I, it, it works for me. I, I don't, you know, it doesn't have to be, you know, they didn't need an explanation. I just needed to think about it a little bit. 
Yeah. Yeah. Let it wash over you. And and fucking Kirsty Kirsty putting on Julia's skin. That was so good. Oh yeah. Oh man. I was wondering, like, why is Julia saving her? What what's going on here? What what and okay, the skin. Mm -hmm. So clever. Right. Because we had seen the skin discarded yeah. earlier on too. Exactly. And that's a great scene too. Yeah. The hanging from the hand and then the whole skin just peels off with the dress. Yeah. And, it's and it looks hilarious. cheap, right? It looks like cheese falling off a pizza or something, mm. but uh, the cheese kind of makes it more uh, stick in your mind more. Yeah. It makes it, it, it makes it more uh, fantasy, more dark fantasy. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's the sort of thing that you would read in a fairy tale. I think that's what it is. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, not a horror know, movie as much as it's a dark fantasy movie. She, she's the evil queen. Was it what? She's not the evil stepmother anymore. She's the wicked queen. <laughs> that's she, that line. Literally the red queen. That's, that was going to be the plan. The, they, they wanted her. They wanted Julia to be the big bad moving forward into the future films. I, I, I don't know if, any, if, you, if you knew that or if people no. listening, if you knew that. That was the plan was to have her be the the queen of hell or, or whatever moving forward. And she was like, nah, I don't want to be a horror monster anymore. <laughs> huh. I, did, I did too. I did too. I'm good. I feel kind of weird even doing those two. They were, they were <laughs> creepy and, and disturbing. I guess she's big in British TV. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the main reasons she came back for the second one was because she and, and the guy playing Chenard, you know, were old friends. They had, they had done all kinds of theater together. So okay. I was like, oh, we'll have fun. Let's just do it. <laughs> yeah, she was clearly dubbed. Clearly a mm. British woman who was dubbed. Yeah, that's one of the bad things. One of the unfortunate things about the about these is the dubbing. Because initially it was going to be set in England. They, they'd filmed it like that. But then, you know, the money people were like, no, we have to make this America somewhere. It doesn't have to, you don't have to set a city or anything. Just make it America. And so they had to dub the dub the american accents over yeah they pretty much dubbed everybody right pretty much yeah didn't take I mean, away too much from it it just felt a little awkward sometimes sometimes it also made the movie feel a little more unworldly otherworldly <laughs> the hell what am i seeing yeah uh so i don't think we i think it, both of us don't really recommend the new one no i i, I would recommend it if you if you if you like the concept if you like hellraiser i would recommend it before i would recommend pretty much any of the other sequels okay if only just because it's so it's it's really well made they i mean it looks really good when you can see what's going on and yeah it uh, does and, and there's there's some really good conceptual stuff in there that i, I just wish i felt like they were just holding back like I don't know if they if maybe they thought Hulu wouldn't let them get away with more uh, with more or I don't know. Yeah, that's true too. It's a Disney property. Yeah, but I mean, you know, it's 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 Hellraiser. It 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 should be perverted and and disturbing and and sticky and gross. Yeah, I want it to be more perverse. Yeah, it felt I mean, a little a little, little stranger. They're explorers of experience, of sensation. Uh -huh. you know? Nobody's sens sensing anything. There's no sensation in the, in this whole movie, really. Just people getting stabbed and then tortured and then disappearing. If you even see them, if you you, you barely even see anybody being tortured. 
you know, you get the, at the end, you get the, the wire coming around the, the, the brother's boyfriend. That was really nicely done. Mm-hmm. I thought that was, that was good. And blo- well, I, I would imagine it's bloody, but it was all under a red light. So everything <laughs> is red. So you can't really tell, you know, what's going on. And I could never really figure out what was going on with that Cenobite's head. Cause it wasn't her skin peeled back and stretched down. It was like a dome. And so I don't know. I don't, I don't understand the, the, Oh yeah. I don't understand how, what the, what, how that works partially because I couldn't get a good look at it. It was never lit in a way that you could actually see the detail. Uh, there's another Cenobite in one of the earlier ones. I might, might be the fourth one. I'm not sure uh, who does have a similar thing, has the head peeled, but you can see her, their brain is exposed and you know, the skin is peeled back and pinned down to her shoulders. You talk about the one with the where the face has all the different uh, spikes in it, and it's pulled the back wires. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it looks, it looks like it should have been really scary, but it looks yeah, it looks like an umbrella because it looks like it's the external skin. It's not peeled or anything. It just looks like a, a layer, like a hat. I guess they're called the asphyx. Ah, okay. Smothered by the skin from its own flayed body, wrapped and twisted over its face. Hmm. Yeah, but it was too much in the shadows. Yeah. And then one that looked like, I don't know, a fish creature or something, too. I wanted to know more about that. But and there was there was one that was like a, a head, a face with no head behind it. Mm-hmm. That you just we just got a glimpse of real quick, and you couldn't really tell what what what, what you were seeing. I've seen pictures, like behind-the-scenes pictures, of the person with a you know a, a green hood on, so they can you know edit the head out, and it looks really cool. And there's a pregnant woman. There's a pregnant Cenobite that we just see walking in one of the doors, and I didn't even notice it was a, that she was pregnant until oh. seeing pictures out you know in the behind the oh. scenes. So it's just I wanted to see more. Yeah, yeah. Well, we got it at the very end, right? Mm-hmm. when Boyd gets uh transformed yeah that see a that's really eerie ending that you know that was what i wanted to see for all of them i wanted to be able to just see what they look like see what how did they get their flesh stripped and buckled and sewn and whatever i love kind of the the uh perversity of what happens to Boyd at the end too where he almost seems to be like treated like an angel or really in embodied in an angel Mm-hmm. this played body like that that juxtaposition was so cool looking yeah i i i, I want to see where that goes weird and scary otherworldly yeah yeah i mean like i said you know and that's you know that's their take on the dr chenard be it getting changed and again it's a really good design i'd like i, I wish i'd been able to see more of that or see others i don't know all right, so you convince me. I do recommend Hellblazer 22. Yeah, just, I mean, I've seen a lot of people who are watching all my it complaints and love it. Some people think it's great. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think it's great, but I think it's okay. It's good. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's good. It's good enough. Good enough. Especially if you've, if you've ever sat through, Oh God, four through 
nine. <laughs> yeah, uh, no. I mean, I mean, the only the only saving grace of four through eight, I think. Uh, let's see, is it is it eight? One, two, three, four's bloodline, then inferno, then hellseeker, then deader. Yeah, is you've got uh, you've got oh no, and then hell world. You do have Doug Bradley showing up in all those cashing a check. You know, he's in for you know, a few minutes in each one to scare some people and make some people go crazy or whatever. I love that man voice. And oh my god, so spooky. Yeah, I was just they didn't need with... to enhance it in the new one either. Yeah, I was just okay. with that. I would rather hear something closer to her real voice. And it, people who say that it's more like the the novel, the the novella, it's it's not the her voice in the novella is described as high and wispy like a like a girl ah. and you know but they're, they're genderless but that's what you know but she does have the diamonds on the ends of the pins and all but she didn't need the the over yeah. the voice yeah was, you couldn't make what she said part of the time yeah, the distortion really made it hard to understand her. I, I, the second time I watched it, I watched it with the subtitles on, and that was where I was able to figure out what was, you know, what she was saying part of the time. Yeah, I felt a little distant from the movie because of that. The ninth film in the series is Revelations. That's the first one without Doug Bradley. It was shot in two weeks for three hundred thousand dollars, so they could keep the keep the rights to the to the uh, property. I saw it's got like a 1.8 on IMDb or something. I watched it once and hated it so bad. It's the only one I don't own. <laughs> but in looking back at it, it might be the closest to the original story than any of these other oh. sequels. Because it is about a couple of people who like go to Me a couple of kids who go to Mexico and get fucked up and do crazy shit. And then. But then it's all shot in, you know, with their house when they get back. One's missing. One one died in Mexico and the other comes back. And yeah, it's just it's just crap. It's not very good. And the, uh, the guy who plays Pinhead looks like I thought saw somebody on online say they thought that it was uh, Tim Heidegger doing a pinhead parody. <laughs> but it's actually yeah. the, the guy in the movie. Damn. Okay. I would recommend, would recommend Judgment though, the last one, the tenth one. It was interesting. All right, I might give that a try. No, Doug Bradley, but the guy who plays Pinhead is is good good enough. He captures I, some of the same feel. I'm glad I finally watched these. Uh, don't make me don't make me try to talk you into watching <laughs> more of them. <laughs> <laughs> well, now I might try ten. I might try three and four. I don't know. Three I got other movies I want to watch between now and Halloween. Oh yeah, yeah. There's more movies. There are way more movies that should be watched rather than watching these. Yeah. Although, although, yeah. To be to be fair, uh, Hell on Earth does have uh, what's your name, Lieutenant Dax from Deep Space Nine. Oh, that was and and then Bloodline has um, uh, what's his name, uh, the guy who's in uh, Adam Scott from Parks and Rec and and uh, Severance. Oh, okay. Yeah. So that's that's interesting. So there there are little bits of bits of fun that you can that can be found and and they've got interesting stuff going on, but it's like like three is all about trying to get Pinhead back. And so his you know, his face is on that pole that rises up out of the mattress at the end of 
of Hellbound. Do you remember that? Yeah. <laughs> it's like blinking, you miss it. It's just like an afterthought. Okay. But uh, in the third one, like a guy who runs a club gets that pole and uh, Pinhead has him sacrificing people to bring him back now. So Pinhead's the one coming back from being trapped in that weird hell pole, whatever it's supposed to be. Oh, that's a sound. Yeah, it sounds like it'd be fun. Yeah, it's it's got some really bad acting. There's some really, really bad acting. Well, yeah. thanks for talking about these with <laughs> One other bit of trivia. Just yeah. the last bit of trivia. Okay. Um Hellraiser Debtor from 2005. I guess it's four, five, six, seven. Stars Kari Werher from MTV. I don't know. Remember, she was like a game show host, you know, that cute girl. So familiar. Uh, goes to Bucharest to investigate an underground suicide cult. Um, it was filmed with a lot of the same cast as one of the Dracula 3000, Dracula 2000 sequels, I think. There, there are like four or five Dracula 2000 movies and they were all, they were done by the same company. And so you've got, it's just interesting. If you watch them back to back, you see a lot of the same places and some of the same characters and actors and people showing up. I wouldn't really recommend it. <laughs> oh, I like the Carrie word. It's just, it's just a weird little, little thing. I just happened to be watching these and watching the Dracula movies, uh, around the same time and was like holy crap these are like the same people what's going on and like they came out the same year and googled it and it was like oh they just filmed a couple of movies while they were over there <laughs> super cheap yep yeah save a few dollars and you do have lance henriksen in hell world as a guy who uh there's like a video game hellraiser is a, a video game property uh, multi you know one of those multiplayer online games and so it's like hellraiser is part of the culture in hell world so that's a weird it's an interesting little meta take huh. that, that might be the only one that was actually written to be a hellraiser sequel out of any of those others it seems there's a lot that were just kind of repurposed or in some way yeah. just changed around mm-hmm. yeah. kirsty actually comes back for it hell seeker she comes back and like ends up in a car accident in the first like 10 minutes and dies but then it turns out she's like she found out that her husband was going to planning to kill her or something and so someone pinhead and offered to sacrifice people to pinhead in order to not take her or something i don't know it wasn't very good but it was it was interesting to see her come back all right, I am going to head out, I think. Thanks, Paul. Nope. So, okay, you say you, you would recommend 2022? Yeah, I guess I would. I give a light recommendation. So you like you? the first two better now? I like the first two better, definitely. I just like the, the, in, the intensity and the weirdness of them. It's mm-hmm. very, very 80s kind of attitude you got to take them as 80s movies mm-hmm. but i i enjoy just that that feel to them yeah it'd be, it'd be nice to like just 
if it was if it was even humanly possible to watch a bunch of like like the 80s horror movies but there's just so many of them i mean yeah i started digging into them a little bit even just watching good ones there's still just way too many of them to even try to arrange some sort of what viewing schedule Mm -hmm. but hellraiser i think is one of the best i think I, i have a hard time separating them to be honest like I said, I used to think Hellraiser was the better of the two just because it was more imaginative, more more fantasy. You got a, a much broader scope. But you, you can't have that without the first one. And well, like I said, I think, one, they, I think it really does expand out that universe too. Yeah, it, it, it is like like they're the same. It's like they're two halves of the same, the same story, the same yeah. whole. Yeah. They could have stopped right there. They fit together very well. And I didn't notice at all that they're... The second one wasn't directed by Barker. Just felt like it's such an organic expansion of that world. And mm-hmm. I wanted to spend more time in that world. So to hear the other movies aren't as good. Uh, yeah, I that's. I'm okay with that. That'd be a good place to stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like I said, the others are more novelties, even the good ones, the, the, the next two. And yeah, yeah. In fact, you probably don't need to even see the last one that I said was, <laughs> was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i might i might re- take that back okay first two and then 2022 if if you're in the mood that's my recommendation just watch one and two and then yeah yeah if you've got some time watch 2022 and it hopefully they're gonna they're gonna do another one because i think where they where they're at now they can really yeah. expand and, and i think they're ready to and i want to and i definitely am looking forward to that probably this time next year hopefully I haven't heard anything yet. Well, it's gotten such year. good, good, good reaction. I wouldn't imagine. I would imagine they're going to do another one. Yeah, depending. It really depends on how much Disney's still willing to invest in Hulu. I think. Yeah. It's it's similar to Prey. Uh, was it Prey? The Predator. Yeah, love that one. The Predator sequel. It's kind of the same kind of approach. Yeah. So, like, if you like Prey, I would recommend watching Hellraiser because it's it's a similar kind of thing going on. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Well, Prey was such an organic expansion of that world. Mm-hmm. I got into places that I just love to see. You know, the Native Americans dealing with this creature. I just thought that was so cool. Yeah. And the way the fight happened, that that's a movie that felt very modern. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, would, I would do a double feature of Prey and Hellraiser. I think that would work. Yeah, and it, maybe even Candyman. Make it a triple feature. Throw the new Candyman in too. Ah, hell, and the new Hell Evil Dead too. The new <laughs> Evil Dead. Four movies. Those are the four. Oh, you're gonna get me out of my '80s movie watching. I I, I wanted new... to watch Wolfen. I watched Cat People. <laughs> new new uh, new Evil the, Dead. Catherine Bigelow. Near Dark. Near Dark. Oh yeah, well you got to watch Near Dark. You've seen Near Dark. You've seen I've it. Never right? seen Near Dark. Oh my God. Yeah. You you have to watch Near Dark. But yeah, if you want to do a, a modern remakes, modern reboots, I would say Evil Dead. Uh, what, what did I say? Evil Dead, Candyman, Prey, and Hellraiser. That's a good. That's a good four film. You know, like a weekend. That sounds like a great Sunday. All right, go like go that. go listen to go listen to after you listen to this. Go watch these movies. Yes, go watch movies. Go watch movies. Thanks, Paul.
Ah, thank you. I'm glad you wanted to do this. I, I kind of, I just kind of threw it at you <laughs> <laughs> at the last minute. <laughs>